Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's episode on Uncharted Waters is is to to die die for. Hello, Haley. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, it's been funny. We've been recording during my morning and your evening, and then the same evening, my time, but you're now the next day ahead, and it's your morning. <laughs> so I know. It's been interesting. <laughs> we've We've seen each other at both extremes. I'm now very sleepy-eyed, and... <laughs> In the morning, yeah. And you, you've had a whole day. You got to do some cool stuff yeah. today, though, yeah? Yeah, um, we did a PCR workshop, so did a bunch of lab work today in the Molecular Ecology and Evolution Lab um, at uh, James Cook University, and it's actually in one of the government buildings, so it's, like, really, like, high security, everything is super tidy and organized, and it's, like, the craziest lab I've ever worked in. Um, Like a molecular lab should be. I know. Man, So I love a good tidy molecular lab. (laughs) I know! I was with a a badass team of all uh, women scientists today, which was really awesome. And everyone's divers which is also super cool. Wow. Um, So yeah, I recorded with you, then went and did a five-hour long PCR workshop, and then here we are again. I love (laughs) it. I love it so much. That's super fun. I, in the meantime, slept, so that was great. (laughs) You also, you had a, a special event a few days ago. I did. I did have a birthday. This is true. I, is it bad that when you said that, I was like, I had an event. What was it? <laughs> you paused, so I figured you were. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I got older. I'm I'm 26 now, which is insane. Um, trying not to think about it too much, but here we are. <laughs> yep. Um, but Lawrence came to town, so that was good. And we did five dives and we got to see a lot of really cool stuff we also did some really cool uh sunset photography and star like astral photography which is really fun yeah and by we i mean lawrence i just followed him around like a a puppy and was like look at this beach (laughs) we could take a picture so uh, (laughs) but yeah some of them turned out really good it was super fun that's so cool. Well, happy official podcast birthday. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Did some cool things in my 25th year. Got a master's degree. Can't complain, you know. Started a podcast. Started a podcast. Yeah. I traveled to... I guess I didn't travel a ton in my 25th year in my 24th year i went to germany and greece that was cool 25th year yeah i went to bonaire which was really also cool i do love going to bonaire (laughs) so 
Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Hopefully, 26th year will also be... Oh, in my 25th year, I also went to Bermuda and Little Cayman. I don't know what I'm... <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you're in different places right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forget that sometimes. <laughs> Minor details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, cool. Well? Yeah. I have some good news pieces this week and mm. news pieces is pl- it's plural so i like this we're going we're going for some cheery some cheery news you know what i needed this <laughs> yeah so we've got three pieces of news here's the first one great white sharks may have buddies researchers say oh <laughs> <laughs> So, scientists have discovered two great white sharks that appear to be travel companions, and they swim or have swam over 4,000 miles together since they were fitted with satellite tags in December of 2022. You want to travel 4,000 miles with me? Yes! (laughs) That's so cute. I love that. (laughs) Wow. Let me just anthropomorphize that real quick, but (laughs) it's still really cute. Wow. I know. Who would have known? I know. I wonder, like, just scientifically, it makes me curious about whether or not they, like, did they tag them together in the same place? Do you think, like, more sharks have oh. buddies and we just only tag one of them because we only catch one of them or something? Like, Yeah. You know? That's a good point. So I was wondering if it, if there's been other buddies observed for other species or even another yeah. pair of great white sharks, but that's a good point. Like, maybe we're only catching one of them of the two or three or whatever that are traveling together. Huh. Yeah. Are they That's really cool. male and female or It doesn't say. I also was thinking about that. I imagine they would <clears throat> probably be the same sex, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, like yeah. bachelor group or something like that kind of activity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. Okay, what's your next news piece? Okay, number 2. Scientists found a new sea creature with 20 arms. So, researchers were trawling the ocean near Antarctica and uncovered a new species that looks haunting in photos, but it's named after a fruit. So, they named this creature the Antarctic Strawberry Feather Star, and it's Mm. a sea creature with 20 arms. Some are bumpy, some are feathery. And altogether, this creature is up to eight inches long. And it's got a really weird photo. Probably close it on our story because it's like an alien. It's crazy. Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's so crazy. Oh, my goodness. That's so wild looking. Wow. 20 yeah. arms. What do you think is the, the evolutionary advantage of that? What are you doing with all those arms, my dude? I don't know. And it <laughs> lives in Antarctica. Oh my god. Like under <laughs> under sea ice. It doesn't say, but like the only thing it reminds me of is like a basket star, and you only ever see those on the reef on like sea fans or corals. So mm-hmm. it just seems odd to me that there's one in cold water. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. 
That's super cool. Yeah, it would probably be a good environment for filter feeding. You've got the the loop current down there that yeah. goes around the the Antarctic area. So that's that's cool. Interesting. I wonder if they just float or if they like grab on the stuff like basket stars do. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know is it Okay, I'm about to get real scientific wordy, but um, is it an echinoderm or is it a cnidarian? Like a a starfish or a jellyfish? I think it's it kind of looks starfish. Jellyfish. Okay. Yeah, all but right. it, but it's a feather star. Like you know those pictures I yeah. showed you from Australia on the reef. So I yeah, know. I believe you. I believe you. Probably a echinoderm. Yeah. Which is starfish, for those of you who don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it does look like a jellyfish. Like, the picture just shows it kind of, like, floating in what I mm-hmm. am assuming is the water column. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird. Mystery. If anyone knows okay. anything more about this 20-armed, 8-inch, teeny tiny friend, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the uh, topic of weird sea creatures named after foods, my last story is um, about a new species discovery as well. Um, So a team of scientists have discovered several new species in the Florida Keys, and in honor of Key West legend Jimmy Buffett, uh, they named a few species after him. So one of these new species is the Keys Margarita Snail. And um, it's named for its lemon lime, lemon lime color that looks like the margaritas of Margaritaville. Oh, that's really cool. I like that a lot. I, uh, I always, obviously, traveling around the Caribbean, have a lot of experiences listening to Jimmy Buffett. Um, yep. And when I was young, my dad and I used to always dance around to Brown Eyed Girl because. My dad used to always tell me that I was his brown-eyed girl. So every time I hear it, I think of my dad, and it's it's pretty special. So I, yeah, I really have a little special place in my heart for Jimmy Buffett, and that's really great, and I love it. I also saw one that was called, like, it was, I forget what animal it was, but whatever it was, they took the genus that it, like, belongs in, and then they did the species Jimmy Buffett-y eye. Like, just oh. his whole name. I think I also found... Yeah, yeah, I found it. Um, It is a long, gnathid isopod. Yeah. Um, And it is super tiny. It is three millimeters long. And it's oh it's God. the first new... Napid isopod to be discovered in the Keys in 100 mm. years. So its name is Napid Jimmy Buffett Eye. Dang. Yeah. That's super fun. Yeah. I think that's that's so cool. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, if you discover a new species, you get to name it whatever you want. So I, I love scientists are picking these names. Obviously, the margarita one is way more like cute you know because it's like yellow it's like a yellow snail but i'm sure this nath it isn't it looks just like a margarita it does yeah yeah i saw the picture of it i 
Mm-hmm. I sent it to you. I was laying in bed last night and I actually was scrolling on Instagram and I was like, Sydney, look at this cool thing. And she's like, yeah, I already know that's in the news for tomorrow. Stop looking at it. <laughs> hey, yeah. great minds think alike. We're on the same wavelength. That we do. That we do. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, this week we have a super special set of episodes actually um it's going to be a two-part episode so we have one part releasing today and then one part next week and we will obviously catch you guys up with some news and uh all the happenings of our life next week as well um but yeah so get ready buckle in for a really awesome two-part episode uh this is a friend of mine i'll kind of explain how i know him in a little bit but uh yeah Without further ado, our special guest, you want to introduce yourself? My name is Robert Stanfield. My my pronouns are that fella. Um, okay, so he, him pronouns. And where are you from and where are you living now? Where am I from and where did I where do I live now? I'm, I'm English. I, I grew up in a little a village called Hamble, which is next to Southampton on the south coast of England. Um, spent my life growing up on the river, sailing boats, dinghies swimming around like an idiot. Um, uh, then I went to university at uh, Sussex University, did chemistry, uh, where I then spent a lot of time in, in Brighton at parties and raves and having lots of fun. Uh, later on, I moved to London, and now I live on Cozumel. Somehow, I've ended up here on Cozumel. Um, um, yeah. Definitely want to hear the story of like how all of, how you ended up in Cozumel. I mean, I know the story for for the listeners, I met Rob when I was in Cozumel doing my instructor certification. So I got the chance to dive with him a couple of times, and I've been watching him on social media for a number of years. Um, but yeah, it's been yeah, it kind of has. It's kind of blown up, hasn't it? It's kind of my social media has kind of kind of exploded. It's great. It's it, I mean, I had a reminder that last year. I was at 20,000 people following me on Instagram. I'm now just pushing 50,000. And it's it's quite crazy that, I, that I've that i never paid for a single thing from Instagram. I've never done this whole sponsored business where you put get yourself higher profile. It's just organically grown. Um, you know, I just kind of post images that I really like and stuff that I find interesting. And it people seem to uh, like it. And it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it gets a little bit addictive, social media, because you get off on the whole number of likes thing. Um, I remember the day that I had a photo that hit like 50,000 likes and it was just like my phone went a little bit crazy and this was back when I used to have notifications turned on when now I've turned it off because otherwise it just ends up getting a bit silly but I was just sitting there I think I was at Punta Sur the pub where I have loads of loads of my artwork in and my phone just went ping 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 as I was getting notification after notification and it was it, yeah, you, it's it, it's uh, it's an endorphin rush. It's really odd. You get off on it. There's something really bizarre about social media and and likes and acceptance. It's nice to be accepted, and it's um yeah. So I, I've kind of getting off on that, and it's that's yeah. There you go. That's, it, it's a bit odd, but um yeah, social media isn't it amazing? It's incredible because it's allowed me to be here doing this. If it wasn't for social media, if it wasn't for Facebook, if it wasn't for Instagram, I wouldn't be doing this. And and I think that's flipping amazing because, you know, how can this be a job? How can I be surviving? I don't know. I just kind of am. Um, 
I think in life a lot of the time it's not good to analyze stuff it's just good to go with mm-hmm. it and see how far it runs right yeah um will you tell us a little bit about how you got into photography or what drew you to the water in the first place okay so 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 growing up in in Southampton uh, on a little it, I spent my entire childhood in water basically um, so as soon as it was warm enough, even if it wasn't, wasn't, I used to go sailing. I used to take part in the frostbite series. So it'd be snowing and I'd be out there sailing. And I remember coming in and my hands just like absolutely frozen. I couldn't feel them. But being out on the river, it's just what I did. I, I, I was, you know, my parents were always sailors. They met sailing. They met at a sailing club. So from day one, I was on the water and it was on boats, canoes, whatever. Um, uh, where I grew up was very tidal. So the visibility underwater was always really minimal. Um, it was incredibly muddy so I just spent an awful lot of time digging around in mud and whenever the visibility was good enough I'd see fish and stuff and I you know that, that was incredible for me and it was it was amazing and and you know being in England being bad weather spending an awful lot of time I spent an awful lot of time at home inside and I think I, mean, I think it was 12 I think I was 12 when my dad thought it would be a great idea for my sister to have a camera and I saw this camera and was like ooh I want to go have a play so being as a little brother I basically stole my sister's toy. My sister wasn't interested in it, and I just started playing with it, and it, and it really captivated me. And uh, and at the time, my grandmother was alive, and she used to get free developing at the at the place she used to work. So I would spend my, you know, days when it was horrible sitting at home playing with this camera and trying to work. The thing that really used to make me, I used to love about photography, was the unknown. You would never know if you took a decent photo. So you would have to use like light meters and work out the, the you know the shutter speed and all this kind of stuff, um, and, and whether you use the right film. And you would point your camera, t- click the button, and you you only knew about two three weeks later when the film got returned whether you'd actually managed to take a photo which looked any good. So it's not like today where you get instant gratification with a digital camera. You know I'm I'm spending half my dive going through my photos to make sure that they're exposed correctly. Um, where back then it would be point click and hope. And, and I would sit and I used to have this book and I used to write down all the settings and I remember which photo I took where and what settings how and, and you know, and I had, and it got, you know, it was kind of fun because it was an, an unknown. Um, but I kind of dropped that after a while because it, cameras get a bit all consuming and I kind of put that to one side and concentrated on other things and, you know, but uh, in 1999 I was in Australia and I went diving on the Great Barrier Reef. It was, I did this tri dive with a company called uh, Noah's Ark, who unfortunately I think went out of business. And and I was captivated, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And 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 it, that kind of seeded an idea in my head that I needed to fulfill. And, and, it, and it sort of sat on the back burner. And I, I wasn't really financially able to go diving until much later on. I think it was about 2013, by the time I actually got to a point where I had a little bit of money and it, I wasn't, really struggling too much and I was in uh, I went to Kotal and and that was it I it was just incredible um, and I just that became my main focus um, but cameras underwater didn't become my main focus for quite a while because it's really expensive and I didn't really I don't know why it, it never really yeah, I don't know. It just never really came to me. And then I bought a thing called a Nikon AW130 or something. It's like this little snappy snap camera that you couldn't take very deep. And I thought it would be kind of a nice idea because um, I wanted to kind of show my mum where I'd been on holiday and go, I'm like, this is what I've been doing. I wasn't just I wasn't just being a waster. I did something. And 
so I, I bought this AW130 and I went to Indonesia and I did Bali, um, Komodo and all these kind of places. And and it just totally got me. And using this tiny little snappy snap camera, um, which I broke, I think on about the third dive, I managed to take, I took it down. I was on the, 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 uh, the, the Liberty wreck. And I took this little AW120 or 130 or whatever it was, and I took it way too deep and it cracked the screen. So I couldn't see what it was taking, but I kind of was used to that anyway with the digital, with the, with the camera film that I had when I was younger. So as long as I knew I was pointing in the right direction, and it was an instamatic camera anyway, it was gonna sort itself out. Was, yeah. And it would make a beep. I remember it made a beep if it was in focus. Beep, beep. And if it didn't go beep, beep, it wouldn't take a photo, so I didn't click the button. Anyway, I went around, I had so much fun with this because I was going underwater and I was making images underwater that was so much better than my own eyes. Because you could put this little camera into a hole, click it, and then I'd go back later and go, wow, look at that. There was a shark in that hole. There was all these shrimps. There was all this stuff. And it just really got me. And uh, when I was on this liverboard, I, 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 I splashed out and I, I went on a liverboard with, it was an aggressor liverboard in, in, in Komodo. And uh, it was on Dive the World Week or something like this, where they normally give people who spend way too much money diving around the world on liverboards, they give them like a discount. So I was on this boat with a load of seasoned uh, divers, you know, people with dive books with thousands of dives in there, still logged, you know, these, this kind of person. And they all had big camera setups or medium-sized camera setups. And it, I kind of caught the bug off them, seeing the images that they were creating from their dives, where I was swimming around with this camera that didn't have a screen on it, and I just kind of pointed it and clicked, and, and I got some stuff. And then I would see the quality of images that they got. And I was like, this is really something that I want to get involved in. Uh, but that's expensive, right? It's really expensive. When you, when you, you know, it, it's not something to be laughed at. It really is a lot of money, especially as it's a, a hobby. It's a toy, right? It's not really something you can make money out of. I, I at the time I thought that anyway. And it, it was, so I went away and I saved up some money and, and I spoke to a guy uh, who runs Underwater Visions, a guy called, uh, Dr. Alex Tattersall, and I said, I want to buy a camera. And he sold me a G7X Mark II. And, and I wish he hadn't, because <laughs> it was terrible. What an awful camera. It, you'd hit the button and it would go, mm, uh, no, you can't take a photo right now. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> Come on. And I'd be like, I'd point the camera again, it would go, yeah, you can take a photo. And it would take a photo and it would be badly framed. And I'd be like, oh, that sucked. And then I'd try again and it would just, it was just, it was just crap. I'd spend my whole dive trying to take a photo and it really wouldn't. Um, so I was, yeah, I got a bit frustrated by it because I spent a lot of money on it. I had a, a, a Nauticam housing. I bought the SMC, the CMC1. I had a strobe and at the time I bought the wrong strobe. Um, I bought a vi video light. Again, at the time it was the wrong video light. And I just generally was like, this is a bit, bit naff. I want a camera that takes a photo when I want to take a photo, please. When I push the button, click, I want a photo. I don't want to go um and ahhing whether it's going to take a photo or not. And, and so I said to him, I said, Alex, what is the currently the best macro? Because I really love macro. I wide angle stuff. Hey, I can see that with my own eyes. The macro stuff I can't see with my own eyes. How much and what is the, currently the best macro setup I can buy? Um, and he went, well, you need all this. And and I just took a big old deep breath and went, okay, let's do it. And he sold me 
a camera system that has just been so much fun. It's It's got all the bells and whistles. It's got all the bits and pieces that you need in order to be completely flexible. And and it's just been, well, I think mainly since, since COVID really has been my entire world, which is a bit weird to say that. But the, the, the guy really understands what photographers want because he's a photographer and he knows what kit kind of works. And, and so I bought that and it cost me the world, but it created something really quite special. And, and yeah, this is amazing, right? It's just, when I look at the photos that I'm now producing, I'm like, holy shit, look at that. What the heck is it? You know, and when you do that and when you look at something and, you know, amazing. Yeah. How long have you been using that camera system? I, well, I think I bought it like eight years ago. I think okay. I bought it eight years. Oh, and, wow. And for the first few, yeah, for the first few years, I didn't really use it. I, like, I was working way too much. I was mm. balancing my life between between touring with bands and then being here in Mexico. And, and you, you know, it, in life, you, you get in what you put, you, you get out what you put in. And if you only put 20% in, you get 20% out. And I was putting 50-50 and I was only getting 50% out. And I was wondering why my images weren't really, really doing anything for me. Um, and then, then you know, I just got to thank COVID really for putting me 100% into it. And I mean, it's been a lifesaver really. I think, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had it Yeah. because I've been completely lost. I'd have been stuck on a Caribbean island during COVID, nothing to do. <laughs> Instead of that, here I am. And it's, and it's spiraled into this beast that is now Cozumel Blackwater, where we go out into the middle of the channel at night with a group of strangers and jump in and swim around a light, which I think is incredible. And we yeah. find stuff that's never been spotted in. I mean, we've had these species that have never been seen here before. And yeah. we're getting finds that, that you know, we found this uh, uh, an eel the other day that was last found, or last spotted or last recovered over a hydrothermal vent in the Galapagos. And it's never been seen in this part of the world ever before. And they didn't even know it was here. And it's just like, I think this is incredible. We found gibber fish. And everyone was like, I don't think a jibberfish has ever been found in Mexico. And it's just like, here's this English, like, you know, what am I exactly? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm a nerd who points, you know, points cameras at things. I'm finding new things from Mexico. And I think it's amazing. I mean, I've even had completely national, you know, right-wing national, nationalistic people in, in Cozumel that is normally like, you know, Mexico, Mexico diving for Mexican people and all this kind of stuff. They've come up to me and said, thank you for bringing something new to the island. That's awesome. And I think that's really lovely that people that are normally hate foreigners are coming up to me and thanking me for doing something new um, and bringing something extra to the to the place. And I think that's wonderful. And it's, it's you know, it's 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 kind of like, I, I don't understand why no one's done it before. Uh, yeah. And and to be to be standing on a new front, you know, this sounds a bit grandier, doesn't it? That's why I've given myself over granted but you know standing on a frontier of something which is new which is like is quite a thing i can imagine what it must have been like for the people when they first discovered diving in cenotes and cavern diving here in the area because they were like holy moly look at this thing that's here and how can no one be doing this yeah and then they're there but you know they're pioneering this kind of diving and, and to be here pioneering this kind of diving i think it's, it's really really fun yeah really fun it's also really scary yeah how did you get into blackwater diving? Like, how did this come about? Um, I looked up when doing a night dive. <laughs> what? Just look up. So what yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Blackwater is looking up on a night dive. So got your next time you do a night dive, next time you go out and you do a you know a reef dive at night, look up, and that's Blackwater. 
right? Because black water is this is is essentially how a coral reef or how any reef system seeds. So when you when you do a black water dive, you're looking at every single reef species that spawns into the current. So you know you you have different species, right? They, some some fish have their eggs look after them, they're paternal, they look after everything, and other fish just go into the ocean. And so when you do blackwater, you're looking at those species. You're looking at the way that reefs are replenishing themselves. So if you want to do a blackwater dive and you're not bold enough to actually go out and do one, just look up on a black on a night dive, and you're going to be seeing this planktonic stuff coming in. And and that's exactly how I found it. I, I was there at Tiki, the little you know the, the wonderful little reef dive that we do, and I looked up and I was like, that's odd. And I took a photo of a a whip nose anglerfish you know one of these really deep sea little I, I call them minions they're tiny little fish that look really angry with eyes and they're like little fish within bubbles crazy looking little thing i took a photo of this fish i used completely the wrong lens i was all set up for snooting um uh uh branch and there i am with this weird fish that's very bad at swimming mid-water in a very current day and i ended up miles down the island because i was following this tiny little fish but that's Blackwater. Um, we're very lucky with, with Cozumel, with, with, with what it is. If you imagine Cozumel is essentially an upturned boat 20 miles out into the ocean. Uh, and so I'm in a very, very, very fortunate position that, 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 that constantly Cozumel is replenished by these, 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 these animals just floating in on the current. So um, once I realised that this was there and I was finding these things that I'd never seen before, I, you know, I, I was kind of... At a bit of a wit's end here and i thought you know what let's go and have a look out there so i i got my scooters got the dpvs yeah got, strapped on a few tanks and just scooted out from the island at night into the black um this was just after covid so there were no boats around so it was pretty safe and i was just there in the current looking forwards and looking at all this stuff flow past now at the time there had been no cruise ships and there were no boat activity so the water was really good quality. There was at the moment now we got cruise ships back and all the boats are around. Boats mince the water up a lot. We can always tell. We've actually when we've been out on blackwater dives, we've actually gone through the, the the wake of a cruise ship, and you just see this destroyed mess where normally we would see like um, uh, net casting siphonophores and things. You just see bits of them instead of seeing complete animals. You're just looking at ripped carcasses of jellyfish and stuff. And so at the time I was going out there and it was just beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And the, the, the local authorities didn't like me doing that because they see this crazy English guy with lights flashing everywhere in the middle of the channel at night. I, yeah, I granted it's pretty dangerous, but you know, at the time I thought it was safe enough and kind of got on with it. I knew I wasn't going to get a haircut and that was my main, main worry. I was worried that I was going to get run over by a boat, but there were no boat activities. So I just kind of got away with it and did it. Um, I mean, I look back now and go, it's pretty, pretty stupid, but it was amazing. And I, and I found my first um, uh, uh, long lead octopus. You know, what, you know, what, it was an incredible, long-armed octopus. Found a long-armed octopus and that was it. I was hooked. Because when you see a long-armed octopus in its natural environment, in a planktonic state, in it looks like the Kraken just hanging there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Incredibly exciting. And... And since then, we've made all these discovery of like, you know, the diamond squid that are out there. And it, it's wonderful to see how the, the, the blackwater creatures that we find here are replicated all around the world. Yeah. So you can go to these far flung places of, of you know, Pilau and, 
I know Indonesia and I, I don't know all around the world, and we're seeing the same stuff. And you know, yeah. I think that's incredible that, that it was a completely unknown within Cozumel. You know, no one, you know, amazing. Yeah. What a thing! Just there, just over there. I can literally walk to it from here now, and it's not like something I thought. You thought you'd have to go to the Philippines to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Granted, you go to the Philippines, and the photo I've seen from there, you do get a wider variety because you are within the biodiversity hotspot, right? That is mm-hmm. the the place in the world for for underwater activity. But considering, you know, we all know the Caribbean is slightly, you know, slightly broken. Um, incredible, right? Yeah. Diamond squid. Yeah, and it, it just shows how connected all of our oceans are too, and I, I just think yep. that's amazing. I, one ocean, right? It is yeah. one ocean. One mm-hmm. ocean. And, you know, it, it, I often think, when I see, when we do these dives, because we're all connected, all, all the people that do this, we're all on the same Facebook sites. And, and you know, you log on and you see the people that, had, that I would literally just be waking up and the people that are just going to bed said, oh, we just had the most incredible dive over in Rombon. And it was like, oh. and it's like, we had the same thing. I'm posting photos. Do you know what's hilarious? I had a friend, Chris Gug. If you're not following him on Instagram, you really should. Um, he was recently in Hawaii. He posted on the Wednesday night the photo of this jack holding a jellyfish. And the night that I saw that, we went out and we got a jack holding a jellyfish almost exactly oh the same image it was like how can what how woo, it was a little bit weird we were all you know when you go diving with people and you see something and you start squeaking at them underwater and it's, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> we had that moment underwater we're all like squeaking going holy shit that's chris's photo and there we are watching it it was amazing yeah how weird is that yeah yeah it is it's so interconnected and i mean just to like maybe take a step back and i'll maybe explain a couple of things as I have perceived them as a guest of Blackwaters and you can, you know, add to mm-hmm. or correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but some of the things that I think make a really good black dive area or blackwater dive, black dive, black dive. Um, <laughs> some of the things that I think make a really good area for blackwater diving are having access to deep water and to yeah. major currents, right? So uh, like 100%, off the 100%. coast of South Florida, <laughs> we've got this water that like, I mean, on, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're really lucky there. Florida's incredible because you've got yeah. two. You've got two currents combining. Yeah, well, so, and on the East Coast, we have a pretty slight, um, like, bathymetry, right? It's a very gradual drop-off, and so... Good word. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my $2 college word of the day. Um but yeah, so it's it's a really gradual slope along our shelf. Yeah. And so it's about 100 feet deep for every mile you go offshore. So we drive out five to seven miles into the middle wow. of the Gulf Stream. And it's about five to 700 feet deep out there. Um, and that's where we get a lot of this blackwater activity. Amazing. And usually we don't have a lot of ship traffic in the area. Um, and, and when we do, it's, you know, shipping containers and we're steering very wow. clear of container ships at wow. that time but yeah like big big boats big ocean um but yeah so that the reason that that is is good for blackwater is because we've got a huge current that's carrying all of these larval organisms and we've got the deep water which is where a yeah. lot of these like some of the organisms that aren't the reef ones are deep water organisms like you've alluded to that are doing this diel migration with the sun right and they're coming up from the depths and they're going back down yeah do you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm dubious about this Diana Noctation. I, I'm really, I, 
because I've been out there and some days you don't see it and the next days you do. And I often wonder that is it really a migration or is it always there and we don't see it? Because an awful lot of these animals, as soon as I, one thing I've noticed that I find my good animals when I look up. So when I get my torch and I look up hmm. and, and it's almost like they become more obvious. An awful lot of these animals, I think, have 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 evolved into the right situation that, that yeah. when you look down on them, they disappear. Like the light bends around them, right? And so when you go out, I always remember watching on the BBC that when they talk about the blue ocean, I think it was in Blue Planet, one or two, and they refer to the the, the, the deep, the, you know, the ocean as a blue desert. And I and it's completely wrong, right? We now know it's it's a soup. It's like a big soup of fish. And I, I'm dubious about this, actually. Is it a migration? Yeah. Or is it you just can't see it? Um, I'm sure I'm sure someone would say, oh, no, we've measured it. It is a migration. Uh, but it feels to me like these little animals you're looking at, some of these little things, they're not going to migrate all that huge distance. Come on, don't be, don't be crazy. They're just going to be floating... You know, and and the fact you don't see them during the day is yeah. because their camouflage is exceptional. You know, they 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 are either translucent or they have incredible scales that mean that they reflect all the light, and they just you just can't bloom and see them. Um, I I, oh, I would like to speak to somebody who actually you know had a had a degree about this kind of stuff oh, and okay. said you know we looked at it. But from my observation, when I've been out there on yeah. scooters during the day, it's all still there. Everything is still there. It's you go through pockets of, of rich diversity and you go through pockets of like emptiness and then all of a sudden you go, Holy shit, this is what we see at night. But you can only see it if you look at it in a certain way. At night it glows. We put artificial light on it and it's really obvious and you go, Holy shit, look at all that, that's incredible. Um and, and I, I wonder if it's that. I mean, during the during the day, if you look at Sargassum and you look up at it, you won't see any life in it. But at night, you turn your torch on and it just glows. You put your torch on a frogfish at night and it, its eyeballs just go, I'm here. And so you can point out all the life in it. Um, during the day, you won't see it. Um, so I, I, I wonder about this Diana Noctation. I wonder if it really is exactly as we think about it, or is it just a general drift and everything just kind that, of hangs out yeah. until it becomes visible. I, I, anyway, that's, that's a probably... Yeah very dubious dubious it's, little it's a good postulate a good little hypothesis yeah 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 maybe <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean it's just obviously all anecdotal isn't it it's just like i saw kind of seen it but you know whether 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 it's true or not is a different question i mean anyway i'm sure there's somebody out there who'll just go no, no you're wrong in a comment i i did my thesis on this and it wasn't the case yes anyway so well, it, it can definitely depend on, like, location and species, too. So maybe, like, Cozumel is different than other places. And, I mean, you're out there, what, yeah. like, almost every day. So yeah, three times a week. Yeah, I mean, Way more than, than we lot. are. Yeah, we're, I'm out a lot. I would be, I'd like to be out more. So if there's any of your listeners who would love to come out and do a Blackwater Me. Live, please come, because I need people to come out. Yeah, come and do it. It's, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, can I? It's amazing. We're going out tomorrow night. Um. Uh, and then, then I don't know when. I've got some people next week who want to go. But other than that, it's kind of we had a group of 13, 14 last night, which was brilliant. Um, I think they were all a little bit confused by it, but <laughs> I think that's often the case with these blackwater dives. You do one, and it was like, what exactly yeah. was that? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what that was. And then, then 
you do the next one and you go, oh, I get it now. I'm looking for things that are smaller than, uh, you know, a grain of rice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you start, things start coming out of the woodwork and it's, yeah, it, it's it's odd. It's one. I think it's one of the most addictive things I think I've ever done. And one of the most all-consuming and, and something that I fall asleep thinking about, which is bizarre, it, isn't it? I did one with Haley. Um, I've only ever done one just because we had bad weather a couple other times in Florida. But it like the first 10 minutes, I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and then after that, it just felt like you were like floating in space. I felt like I was up in outer space. It was it, crazy. Exactly that. I remember, I think it was one of the first few I ever did. Um, and I was swimming back to the boat and this chick came up to me and said, you know what, I think that's the closest thing to being in space. And we had this beautiful, yeah. we had this beautiful dive where we had so many sea butterflies, the, you know, the ones that kind of have big wings and, and there were so many of them and they were all attached to this mucus. And so as you would swim along, you'd put your torch around and you'd see this, this animal fly away. And it was really, it was so much like being in Avatar that was like, this is really cool because everything seemed to glow and flap and move away as you swam through it. And it was like being in space. It was amazing. It was, well, I can imagine, you know, whatever space would be like, I mean, because we're floating, yeah. <laughs> you know, black, weightless, and no, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I think maybe our, um, our to dive for trip, we can go do a, uh, a blackwater dive with Rob. Yeah. A blackwater week. That's what we yes. need. Yes. Because it that was, was fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. To do a week of it. And then you see, you almost see, you feel, it's probably not, but you, you often feel like you're seeing a rhythm and you, cause it's, it's, it's interesting that the, 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 you know, they used to talk about the diurnal migration. I don't think it is. I think it's more related to the moon cycle. Mm. So that the, the entire planktonic mass is moving up and down, not daily, but m monthly almost. So at some mm. point during the month, you end up with this, that, that with, everything will be quite deep. So we found that, you know, like during during full moons often, it will be a very fishy dive. There'll be lots and lots and lots of fish. There'll be no cephalopods. Um, and then later on, like, I don't know what, halfway through the month, the cephalopods will show up. And then you end up with all the squid and the octopus and everything like that. And then slowly the, the fish will come back. And then uh, 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 no moon, it can either be everything or nothing. And it's really yeah. odd. It's like we can have some new moons where we go, yeah, it's going to be new moon. It's flat. It's amazing. We go out there and it's like being at a party after a fight. And it's like <laughs> there's... There's, there's, yeah, I know. It sounds really. There's like drinks glasses everywhere, so you'll see loads of, loads of mucus nets that have got nothing attached to them, mm -hmm. and so you'll see evidence of, of animals. You'll see lots of like bits of animals that have like dropped because so a lot of the the, the, the pteropods they they all come up and they create like these mucus nets that they feed off that all the all the uh, phytoplankton will attach to, and they'll feed off that. And then once that's full, they'll drop away, or once they're disturbed, they'll drop away. And then that that mute, that what, what they call it, marine snow, will just hang there, right? And so you'll go to it, and you you'll feel like something just happened, like you you were you were a day late to a party. It's really odd. It's like being. Have you ever been to a festival when no one's there, and it's just evidence of the festival? So all you see is drinks cartons and fag ash mm -hmm. everywhere, and like bottles and cans, and it's like devastation. And we often see that on, on no moon, we can go out there and it will just look like total devastation. 
And you'll swim around going, oh, maybe it was yesterday we should have been here. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe we should yeah. have been here during the day. Maybe the party yeah. was during the day. And yeah. I I have a feeling about that because everyone's like, oh, it all comes up at night, all goes down. Away. Hmm, I'm not sure. How do they get that study? How do they come up with that? I haven't, because yeah. what we see, it doesn't seem to be like that. It, it seems is... to be, yeah. This is making me want to, like, like my inner scientist wants to, like, chart, like, when you can see every species and how it varies by different months and cycles. I keep saying that. Now, now my photos, I have a, a, you know, quite an extensive selection of photos now. I don't know how many hundreds of blackwater dyes I've done. And I generally tend to go out and just take photos of everything that I can take photos of. There's a general rule in blackwater photography is take photos and ask questions later. If it's a blob, you have no idea, <laughs> click. Um... And so I do that. Now I should go through my photos and, and, and you know, have a chart and go, we saw this, then this, then this. And, and I feel like we see trends. Yeah. But there is a habit, there is a human condition of seeing trends when there isn't seeing one. Seeing patterns where there aren't, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I got a feeling that we'd look at it and go, hey, that's the pattern. Uh, no. so, I think, uh, I think you just... need to take on an apprentice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's getting so, I want to make Blackwater Cozumel a a uh, non-profit that people could donate to us for our research. Our research. It'd be amazing, and we can go out and we can actually start mapping this because it's really important to know yeah. what is in the Blackwater because that's what's reseeding the reefs. We will see a trend in the, you know the first time we will notice that the the parrotfish are not here anymore is when we don't see them in the Blackwater, right? So the key species that you see on a reef that are essential yeah. for reef maintenance, for essential for reef sustainability, we're going to see the trend first down Blackwater. So, so essentially, we could be logging, we could be creating a database of when we see stuff because it, it will show to people when things are breeding, when there are spawning events, and as far as I'm aware, that this kind of stuff's not done because you know, in order to fund that kind of research, is a heck of a mm -hmm. load of money. Yeah. I mean, you've just got to dive. You have to be in the water so much. And like, that's one of the limiting factors yeah. of all of our research. It's you have like... to actually create, we have to create a way of doing it. Yeah. You know, how do you actually quantitatively do this correctly? You know, yeah. so someone can actually turn around and go, yeah, I, this is, you know, I don't want to create an interesting set of data that can, someone can pick holes in. Yeah. You actually need to be able to do it. So it actually stands up. Is it, is it, is it peer reviewable? Yeah. Can people turn around and go, do you know what? You're, the way you did it was right. Now, I know that an awful lot of these guys who go out and they'll do surveys, they're like the deep end stuff that Dante did. You know, they have these these like manta nets. They trawl at certain depths that have a certain size of holes and everything. But when they do it, they do a destructive way yeah. of monitoring, right? They the, the images that they get of their animals, are they're dead. They don't, they don't look like that. So we're getting these photos of these animals that they normally yeah. see, you know, that yeah. look completely mutilated and we get them in their natural state of looking beautiful with color <laughs> with iridescence you're getting behaviors yeah yeah i mean i try for the artistic face approach you know because i like i like people to have connection to my photos i like to you know obviously i can take a really nice fish id photo and people go hey that's a nice fish but you don't get the same response as when you take a full-on face on view and you see the nostrils of this weird little creature that yeah no one knew existed yeah so you know it, it's yeah so it, that, that to me yeah, is kind of sure. like a fun thing but how we get funding i want to know how we get funding for that because that to me sounds like a worthwhile project 
I want to do this. Because <laughs> I really love what I'm doing here. It's an amazing thing to be to be in a situation where I get to take photos of these weird and wonderful animals and, and share that with people. Um, and I think it would be wonderful to actually come out with something, you know, that is notable, that can actually be written about, and it's a paper, and go, hey, look, we, we didn't just do it for fun, we did it and we learned. And I, I think that would be wonderful. And I think, you know, because I think learning and, and passing that information on to people, and, and, and also it'd be great because we could turn around if people said, hey, look, I really want to go and see um, uh, whale fish. And it'd be like, okay, well, we've noticed that the whale fish are breeding in this area at that time. So if you want to see the, the, the young, you know, April's your time to come. And then we get the chance of seeing, because we, we've, we've found certain things. Like in April, we always get thimble jellyfish. If you want to see thimble jellyfish, come in April, incredible. April, they all come through all in once. Um, and if you want to see tripod fish, come in August. Amazing. August. We've had, we had several dives in August where it was just ridiculous. It was like tripod fish, tripod fish, tripod fish, tripod fish. Amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, it was quite funny. We had, in Ju uh, I think it was May, we had um, Steve, the, the legendary Steve Kovacs turned up um, with, with his crew of divers. And we had the quietest week of diving we've had in ages. It was like really bizarre. I mean, we had, we had deep water species on every dive. You know, we had, we had everything. You, you know, when I look back, I go... Wow, it's really good. Uh, you know, the, the, the visibility was stunning. The the currents were perfect. However, it wasn't like a frenzy of activity. Uh, the other night, not not the last dive, the dive before, it was a, like an absolute bio base of fish and stuff. It was you were you. It was just like wow. I feel bad. I'm killing stuff by swimming. It was insane. Um, one thing we found is if we go along and if we look for flying fish at the surface. We jump on those. We jump on the flying fish. We jump on the on the mass of of stuff. And the, the the other night we did it, and yeah, I mean, everyone came out going, "That's the best thing since sliced bread." So, so at this point in the conversation, we got a little bit sidetracked and somehow wound up talking about Dima, which is a scuba show for professional divers. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to Dima. Yeah, I. I, I, I want to go to Dima so I get to pick up the housing for the Marla, for the, the camera, for the and and then um, I, also I want to talk to, to, to dive shops there and say, hey, look, you need to come and do Blackwater. It needs to be a part of your fixture. You come to Cozumel, you need to earmark one night where people come and do a Blackwater dive. Uh, there, there seems to be this big faux pas or this big like scared factor that black water is really dangerous and it's really scary and you just jump into the middle of the ocean. It's really not. It's no different. Like you're just, you're just diving. It's a drift dive and you're shallow. It's just at night. No, it's not a drift dive. It's, there's no drift. There's no, well, we do drift, but that you're not drifting as such. So, so it's, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, speed is relative. Right, relative relativity. Right, we did this in physics when you're learning sciences and stuff. Uh, the the motion, the body is at motion. You know, compared with another body. So we're out in the ocean. We're all moving together. That's not a drift. That's a stationary dive. The fact that we move from one place in the ocean to another is irrelevant when you don't know it. And we last night we did what six and a half, seven miles, and there were you don't kick, you don't have to swim anywhere. You just float. So that's not a drift. So I think calling it a drift dive is a little bit, you know, a drift dive for me is where mm. you don't kick, but you see the reef go past you. 
where when you're in a black water, yeah. you, it's like essentially a big dark swimming pool full with with fish. And I, I think the scariest part and the hardest part is getting over those mythical monsters that live in your mind. And that's the difficult part. It's, it's getting up, it's trying to ignore all the films you were brought up on as a kid of things coming out of the dark. And that's the biggest, uh, and it still gets me, you know, I'll be out there diving and I'll see something move in my vision and it'll make me go, <gasps> and, and you know, my heart will, and it's like, what am I doing that for? I know there's nothing here. We don't, I'm, we're not diving in the Pacific. You know, we're not in a yeah. really, really, really deep water where we got cookie cutter sharks. We don't have that problem. There's, there's nothing in Cozumel that's going to be a problem. So why am I getting, ha- well, oh, idiot, you know, I mean, you know, we, we, I don't know why the media play on that kind of carnal fear of the unknown. I, I often wonder what oh. life would be like without Jaws. Where would we be? What would the world be like without Jaws, without Megalodon? How would life be? What would what would we see from this planet? How would people react to yeah. oceans? How would people react to the sharks? And I think that's the biggest thing. Someone said to me the other day, are we going to see a hammerhead? And I'm like, what? <laughs> When do you, no. uh, uh, like I've been diving for how long, and I yeah, I wish I saw more hammerheads. I yeah, exactly. I uh, exactly. I mean, Eva was talking to me the other day, going, "Why have I been here so long? I've done so many dives on Cosmen, I still haven't seen a hammerhead. Yeah. It's not fair." When you see other people posting that they saw one, we got a scallop the other day. I don't know if you saw it on social media. A scalloped hammerhead came through. I did. I saw all of the Cozumel things blew up. All the like Cozumel scuba pages were like, yeah, amazing, right? And it was it, what was weird is it, the fact it was a scalloped, and it looked very unwell because mm. it was swimming very slowly and didn't mind people getting close to it. Yeah, but what anim- What big animal allows other? animals near it. I will say this is this is a discussion we've been having about sharks specifically because of the diving that I've been doing here and we I don't know what it is about this area and the the listeners have heard me rant about this like four times now so I'm sorry but the sharks here are very very brazen um and so they'll like come up to you they'll be very very close to you they I mean they'll literally just swim directly at you and get like an arm's reach away from you and then just like barely veer off. Wow, how much fun is that? Yeah, and so, and they're all really small for sharks, right? Like they're like juvenile sharks. They're like four and a half for five feet long. And so my theory has been that the the smaller sharks, because they have to defend themselves when they're like out in big ocean here, you know, like it's, you swim, you know, 50 meters offshore and there's 6,000 feet of water. And so- um, yeah, I, my theory is just that they are really young and that they have to kind of like be really spicy in order to make it, you know, once, once they're, you know, 10 foot bull sharks, they don't really have to be so, they don't have to be so, um, like brazen and kind of like bold. Yeah. Because they, you know, nobody's messing with a 10 foot bull shark. Um, nobody's messing with a 12 foot tiger shark, you know, except other sharks. See, see, I, I, I always thought that big animals got big because they were careful. Maybe, maybe so. You know, you don't, you don't get old. I think the older you get in life, the more cautious you become. Yeah. You know, and and the and the brazen ones die off early. That's a good. That's a good counter theory. I like that. <laughs> so why don't you see the big ones? It's that they've learned their lesson. 
So that's all we're going to give you guys this week. You'll have to come back next week for part two, where you'll get to hear about what kind of education Rob has to do this job, and also about some of the challenges he's faced, and of course, all of our favorite silly questions that we ask at the end of every episode. So please stay tuned for more next week. And yeah, thank you guys for sticking around for our first two-parter episode, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fishtails episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at To Dive For Podcast and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye. So tripod fish are simultaneously uh, hermaphroditic. So they're possessing both male and female reproductive organs that mature at the same time. So if this fish can't find a mate due to its uh, solitary existence in the deep ocean um, in a really harsh environment, it can fertilize its own eggs and thus ensures the survival of its species. That's super crazy. Well, thanks for the fish fact. Of course, I actually did it on fish this time. (laughs) Yay!